Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Awesome. Well, it is great to see you here again this morning. Uh, It's awesome that we can remember who our God is and what our God has done for us Ross, uh, we are starting a new series today, so hi, first and foremost. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. It's good to be here this morning. How are you going this morning? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good, good. We are starting a new series this morning, which I'm really excited about. You gave us a bit of an entree last week. Yes. Because we are talking about having meals with Jesus. What would that be like? You know what? That's the third time that joke has happened from you without any laughs any time. So having entrees uh, with Jesus, well, good. Last week was the first of a series, but not in the series, yeah. so it was just good. Entree, it was entree. So you have to explain it to everybody. It's funny. <laughs> it's not funny. So uh, last week, though, we did start by looking at the beginning of Luke. If you weren't here, if you didn't join us online, and we saw three things that I think are kind of going to help us in some ways in this series. So the three things we saw last week were that this book we're going to look at is historical, so it did really happen. So everything we're going to see in the next nine weeks really happened in a real-time place in history. The second one from last week was that it's theological, so it tells us about God. So we're going to learn and see stuff about our God. And then the third thing is that it's personal. And so I'm, I think I should say all of those things excite me, but this last one particularly, I think we're going to go on a journey of seeing how God interacts with people on a personal level, which is just so great. So I'm looking forward to that. So if you need anything to hold on to this week uh, or this series, that's going to be it for you. Now, uh, I've got some things to point out. I've got some things in my lap, but I've got some things to point out. The first one is with this series, there's this book that we're going to kind of be working through. Now, Meals with Jesus, it's called, it's a devotional book. It does go through the same things that we're going to look through. Uh, It's great for families. It's great for a personal devotion. It's great for quiet times, all of that sort of stuff. It's even great if you just want to read it and get your head around what we're going to look at. Now, we were talking before this series about how we've got copies of this. Uh, If you want one, to let us know you want one and we can order one for you. We've got copies of this available, though, extras on top of the ones that we already ordered. So if you didn't get in and you want one of these, it's going to cost, I think, around, well, this one says $17. So I reckon we got a little bit of a discount when we ordered all the ones that we got. So I'll say, boldly, $15. You can get this for at least $15. after, if you want one, at the coffee place. There's about seven available. So go and order one of them. I think they're awesome. Anyway. And doing extra stuff too is uh, just feeding into that we're on about making and growing disciples, which is more than just turning up on a Sunday, hearing a message, go, oh, that was cool. Yeah. But to actually read through it during the week and actually reflect and meditate on it yeah. is something that we all want to be doing is growing as disciples and we want to be doing that as a church. Yeah. It's a great idea. No, that's that's it. And an awesome transition to, to the rest of things going on in our church as well. So obviously we've been doing a trimmed back Sunday for... This is, our th- this is our third week, I think, of this. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to slowly, hopefully, depending on a few things, but if things continue tracking as they have been in terms of where we're at in this pandemic and all that sort of stuff, to bringing things back step by step. 
Yeah, I mean, if people are worried about COVID and the spread of the virus and stuff, uh, particularly for the vulnerable, we've encouraged, we're doing the live stream for them to stay at home, but also uh, for a lot of our volunteers. You know, at the last minute, people are getting COVID, which yeah. uh, doesn't help when you're trying to uh, help things to be organised. Yeah. So with that, we're just going to, like I say, ease into it for over the next two or three weeks yeah is the plan so uh, patience with us please yeah and so what that means is next week hopefully it will look a little bit differently to this week but we'll let you know about that this week is essentially what we're saying okay but there is some things that we are penciling in again we talked about that last week uh so in terms of things like growth groups and play group and english for life all of those things have been pushed back basically to kick off the week the week after next sunday the week after next Sunday. Uh, so we've got all that sort of stuff happening that week. Um, but Alpha is going to start on the 22nd. So again, there's flyers and posters around that say the 8th of February. They're not kicking off on the 8th of February. It's kicking off on the 22nd of February. So if you can be having a think about that, a prayer about that, and uh, who you're inviting to that as well, that's on the 22nd of Feb. Now, we've got something, though, that's happening today, Ross. Yeah, today we're having our Newcomers Morning Tea. That's where we are just after the service. So this morning it'll be about 10 o'clock. We're just going upstairs. There's a room. There's a nice morning tea up there. Just to, if you're here at Southside, uh, particularly start of a new year, just thinking, hey, is this the sort of church that I can call home? We want to spend some time just going, hey, this is what we're about. We want to know a bit more about you and your story and just trying to help uh, people fit in and make a good fit that people can call this place their home. So if you're here new or visiting or just thinking what's the next step for me uh, come along 10 o'clock just through the foyer up the stairs uh, and there's a meeting room up there a few of us will be up there just goes for an hour or so so till 11 and um, they that's good time yeah and so that's kind of the next step you know often we're thinking about uh, how people want to join growth groups and that sort of stuff but the next step come along to that and then we can sort that out from up uh, yeah. after that point we'll explain all that awesome that's, that's right Cool. Now, uh, one more thing just for today's service. So we've got uh, a parents' room at the back there. You're most welcome to use that at any point that you need. We've also got creche open and downstairs for up to five. There's no one supervising there, so if you want to take your kids there and supervise yourself, that's open for you and available. Uh, and I think in terms of that sort of stuff, so kids' church and all that stuff, again, that's coming in the next couple of weeks. That's not today. So just to let you know that that's available. Now, this morning, I think... I'm going to pray and then read the Bible and then you're going to preach for us. That sounds good. Awesome. All right, well, let's spend some time praying together now. Heavenly Father, thanks um, so much that we can have this moment as we gather together. Father, we do want to spend a moment to reflect on who you are. God, because you are an awesome God, a powerful God, a strong God, a God who is sovereign over all things. And Father, as we come before you now, it, sometimes it feels like um, things are out of control and we feel that all the time whether it's our own emotions are out of control or whether the things going on around us are out of control but we do just spend this moment now thanking you that you are always in control that you're in control of what's happening inside and outside and we thank you and praise you for this we thank you that you are a big and an awesome and a powerful God and we thank you too, God, that you're not just powerful, but you're also close and you're lovely and beautiful and good. And so, Father, as we come together this morning, we just thank you and praise you for this. We praise you that you are a good and a gracious God. And we thank you for the way that we see that in how Jesus has come into the world and 
loved people like us and cared for them and then died on the cross for people like us. Father, we pray this morning that this would be our comfort and our peace. Lord, we want to commit this series to you as we begin this officially today, as we go on this journey looking at Jesus and who he went to eat with and the interactions there. God, we ask that this would be a series where we're able to see all the more clearly how beautiful you are, Jesus, and the type of people you have come for. So we pray today that you would speak to us and you'd transform us and change us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to read uh, our first installment of this series in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 32 is where we're going to read. So if you've got your Bibles there or it will be on the screen as well, and we'll pick it up from verse 27. It says this, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thanks, Ben. Sometimes we take for granted gathering as a church, listening to God's Word, uh, but we really are expecting God to speak to us through His Word, through His Holy Spirit being with us. Uh, So I'm just going to pray now again that God would help us to have ears that can listen and hearts that can draw near to Him. So uh, please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you again for your Word. Thank you that we can gather here today with our church family, with friends, even if we're new here. Lord, I thank you that you promised that to speak to us and when you speak that, that you are meeting with us and we do pray that you would give us uh, the ability to hear and understand more about you and more about ourselves. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you believe people pay money to celebrities to make phone calls to give them birthday wishes so on your birthday you can organize or for somebody else somebody to give them a call their hero a celebrity to wish them a happy birthday now i thought this is a bit crazy till i started looking into it thought oh, actually this is a bit of fun actually there's something we should all think about who would you like to hear from for a birthday wish on your birth let me give you a few examples and of course of course uh you're going to pay for it because uh, they're not doing it nothing but we're just going to have a bit of a think about who are we going to who are you going to invite would you choose Elsa from Frozen or Greg Page the original yellow wiggle to wish you a happy birthday on your birthday who would you choose the next question how much would you pay well Elsa's a mere $77 but for Greg nearly $1,500 nearly 20 times the amount you too can get one of the original Wiggles to phone you. If you're a cricketing buff, what about Michael Kapsiewicz, the great fast bowler from yesteryear that nobody remembers, or Nathan Lyon, the goat? Oh, come on, fellas, who would you like to hear from? Surely it's the goat. Well, when you see how much they get paid, you have to pay for it. 1500 bucks for Michael, uh, under 100 bucks for Nathan Lyon to give you a personal, for him to phone you up. Roscoe, happy birthday. 100 bucks, I'm going to do it. Or 
if you want a bit of fun on a lighter note, Chappelle Corby. Or Hammy and Oliver, you know who they are, they're famous pet influencers. Uh, who would you like to contact you? I'm not sure how Hammy and Oliver would go on the phone, but who would, who, who would you like? Well, the price may not surprise you that uh, dogs cost twice as much as Chappelle, but you've got to remember with both these guys, you get a free gift. One's a packet of warm, smelly, in a black paper, black plastic bag, and the other one's in a boogie board bag. But uh, they come with gifts. But the big guns, talk about the big guns. David Hasselhoff, the Hoff, give you a call, happy birthday. Or Jesus himself, or somebody who uh, is impersonating Jesus at least. What would you pay for them to wish you a happy birthday, to get on the phone to you personally? Well, uh, the Hoff, uh, 714 for Jesus, under 50 bucks to hear from Jesus. I mean, that'd be pretty cool, right? But I was wondering, hey, what makes people do this? In fact, I think there's a very good reason to do this. It's because, hey, when somebody important, when my hero calls me, if it's to wish me happy birthday or for whatever, it kind of gives me a warm fuzzy inside that actually I matter to them, that they know I exist, that they affirm me in a sense by putting my number in their phone. My number is in their phone when they call me, hey, Ross, how's it going? that I'm a somebody. It makes you feel like a somebody, even though you're paying for it, I know. But they've gone to the effort to reach out to you, that you exist, they recognise you, they acknowledge you, and they're interested in you. Now, I think it's the same thing that's going on back in Jesus' day, the effect that Jesus had on people. When he went to people's places, when he met with people, people were changed. People were transformed when they met Jesus. But here's the shock. Because Jesus came to earth. Yeah, Jesus is the son of God. You know, he's uh, the one who created the universe, sustained the universe. He's here for 30 years walking this earth. And in those 30 years, it's, it's really only three years he had the public ministry. He's not going to everybody's house. He's not going to meet up with everybody. He's going to be very selective on who he meets up with. So here's the question. What kind of people did Jesus come for? Would Jesus have hung out with me if I was there? In fact, think about it. If you were there in Jesus' day, would Jesus have come to your house for dinner? Now we're going to uh, go through the Gospel of Luke, just looking at the people Jesus had dinner with. So we're going to see lots of people who he had dinner with, but also people he didn't have dinner with. He chose not to. So it raises the question, are you the kind of person that Jesus would be interested in? to come and hang out with you. See, in those days, so it's first century Roman Empire and now what's called Israel, uh, people were very interested in spiritual leaders, people like Jesus. There were the teachers who would uh, teach about God, where you'd just go and listen. There were rabbis or spiritual leaders. They often ran schools, so you could go and sit uh, under them. They're, they're your teacher, they're your rabbi, your spiritual leader. You go and live with them for months or even years with them as your spiritual leader. And people would do that because they're asking the question, well, how can I live my best life spiritually? Is there more going on, more stuff that I need to know, more stuff that I can learn? And it's actually not that different today because people are asking similar questions today. 
People want to know, how can I live my best life? Is there more to this, the here and now, where they investigate all sorts of religions, Eastern religions, Western religions. They, they go to mediums to think about the afterlife, to talk to spirits. They go to tarot cards, uh, palm readings to look to the future. It's sort of there's an acknowledgement that there's something more going on. What do I need to know? And who am I going to follow to find out that truth? It happens then, it happens now. Now for Jesus, he comes on the scene and people are already familiar with the teachers that you listen to, the rabbis who you can go to the, their uh, schools. But he introduces them to another term of son of God. See, earlier on in this chapter, we're hitting sort of towards the end of chapter 5, earlier on in this chapter, Jesus has already healed a person with leprosy. Nobody gets healed from a leprosy back in that day. He's already healed a crippled man, allowed him to walk. And he also announced, your sins are forgiven. Nobody can forgive somebody's sins except for God himself. So Jesus is putting out there, actually, I'm the son of God. I am God. I am divine. He's introducing them to a new category. Now, a teacher you would listen to, a rabbi, you might go to their school, spend a year or so. But the Son of God, if it's true, you actually need to give your life to the Son of God. He's God. He's divine. He's our maker. But you'd have expectations, right, on what those people are like. People aren't dummies. They're not fools. They're not going to follow anybody. They're not going to follow a fake or a fraud. They're always asking, do they measure up? Do they measure up to their claims as a teacher, a rabbi, or even the Son of God? And this is where we come to this story. Uh, that Ben read for us earlier. Jesus is walking along and people are following him and they're watching and they're asking the question, does this Jesus guy measure up? And at this time, people are watching his every move because they want the question answered. Now, this is where Jesus does the first unexpected thing. We're going to see three unexpected things uh, or some people might say three mistakes Jesus makes. But this is his first unexpected thing, that he talks to a sinner, a tax collector. This is a little detail that actually carries a lot of weight because tax collectors, talking about Roman Empire, the biggest empire in the world uh, in that day, they had an interesting way of collecting tax because they need tax, they need revenue to run their, their empire. But what they would do, how it used to work, is they would estimate, they'd go, okay, here's a town. We estimate that that should be drawing in about a million dollars, for example, a million dollars in tax revenue. That's what we're going to need to make this place run. But what they did, they, the Romans themselves wouldn't go in to collect the money. Oh, no, they're smarter than that. They would get some locals to do it. So in a place like Israel... They would get some Jews to come in and people would tender or bid for the contract. Can I be the tax collector? So they would be responsible for finding the million dollars for the Roman Empire. And what's in it for them? Well, whatever they could get out of it more than the million dollars, they get to keep. So somebody might say, look, I want a 30% profit. So I need to collect from my people $1.3 million. But often what would happen then is... It's too big for one person to do. So they're like, they start up a pyramid scheme. So they got the chief tax collector. He goes, look, I want 1.3 mil for this to work. Uh, do you want to work for me? I'll sign you up as a tax collector who works under me, but I'm not going to pay you. You can take whatever you get over the 1.3 mil. So all of a sudden, all these little 
minions go, yeah, I want my cut too. I'm going to make it 1.5 or even 2 mil uh, they'll be collecting. They can double the amount the Roman Empire want. So they got known as being very greedy people, always taking because the more money you can get it, squeeze out of people, the more income you make. Sounds very profitable. But Jesus meets this tax collector and everybody hates tax collectors. It's not about the job. You know, if somebody works for the tax department here, you go, it's just my job, I've just got to do it. This is a lifestyle. It's about the person. Because people choose to be tax collectors. They choose to take as much money. And they are the worst people. It's not just the worst job. They're the worst people who work in those jobs. And it's interesting to take a moment just to go, it's not just the Jews, not just the religious people in Israel having a whinge about this. The Roman emperor... Tiberius, who was the emperor in Jesus' day, he said publicly, he thought the tax collectors were greedy, and he's quoted as saying, the sheep are to be shorn, not fleeced, publicly having a go at the tax collectors. There was a, a, a popular writer of the day, a Greek guy, Lucian, he's called, he's a not, not a Christian, and he writes, there are people who stir up chaos in the cities. There are adulterers, there are pimps, and there are tax collectors. You know, the world would be a better place without those three groups of people. And then you've got the Jewish rabbis saying, uh, putting tax collectors in the same category as murderers and robbers. Don't go hanging out with a murderer. Don't go hanging out with robbers. Don't go hanging out with tax collectors. They're all bad news. They're all scum. So they're banned from the temple can't worship God. They're banned from the synagogues. They're banned from uh, mixing with other believers. They're cut off from their community. And remember, for somebody like Levi, Levi's a Hebrew name. He's a part of the local crowd. He's now cut off. He's now shunned. He's excommunicated from them. Now, you would never come in contact with a tax... If you were a friend of a tax collector, you would be labelled as, as a traitor like them because they're helping out the Romans and robbing their own people. So if you're a teacher, a religious teacher in those days, it would be bad news. You would not do that. You'd ruin your reputation. If you're a rabbi, you would never talk to a tax collector. That, that would be so shameful for you to do that. It would never happen. But for the Son of God to talk to a tax collector. It's like, that's an insult to God to think that he would talk to somebody so rebellious, such a traitor, so sinful as that. It's unconceivable for those people to hear that. But yet this is what Jesus does. His first thing that's just got people puzzled, he goes and talks to a tax collector. Now, if you're standing there watching on, just going, surely he's not, he's not, he's not going to do it. But then he walks up to the booth and the booths are another way of they collect tax. There was a travelling tax. So they would just set up a booth on a road and basically anybody who passed through had to pay a tax. It's kind of like the e-toll driving along the road. It's like, well, I'm not paying for this. You just got to. So people were paying this. Nobody liked him. Nobody liked doing it. But Jesus, instead of walking the other side of the road or getting one of his helpers to go and pay the money, Jesus goes and talks to him and you'd be listening if you were there going does this guy measure up to his big claims as a son of god or even a rabbi or teacher you'd be listening what's he saying what's his conversation all about and we can't actually hear the conversation and luke doesn't tell us the whole conversation but we hear the words come out of jesus mouth follow me follow me now this is like scandalous 
scandalous that Jesus would say that because this phrase, follow me, was a common phrase rabbis would use to describe their disciples or those in their school, those people who would come and live with them. Disciple is someone who walks in the footsteps of their master to follow them. So it's kind of code language. I want you to be my disciple is what Jesus is saying. And it's like, are you crazy? It's very prestigious as a rabbi to have the right kind of school. So if you're going to follow a rabbi, you're looking for one with the best reputation uh, to, to, to associate yourself to. Like, we want to send our kids to schools, the best school. We would check that out. But it goes the other way too. The rabbis only want the best students. So they're going, I'm going to pick the students that are, who are honourable, respectful, because I don't want them to embarrass me. So I would definitely not even accept uh, any kind of sinner, let alone a tax collector. And Jesus is going, actually, why don't you follow me? Why don't you walk in my steps? Why don't you be with me? This is a big thing. And a lot of people, a lot of the people watching would go, this is a big mistake. It's very, very unexpected. But it's also unexpected Levi's response. Because Levi drops things immediately. It's not like, hey, Jesus, I'm hearing what you're saying. How about I take your number and I'll give you a call after work and let's just talk about it. Levi's like so uh, con convinced, so committed, we're told that he stops everything there and immediately. Levi stops, he gets up from his booth. He leaves everything, all his bookwork, even all the money that he's collected, drops everything at stressed. And followed Jesus, starts walking beside Jesus. Now, the Bible uses a word, throws a word around a lot called repentance. And repentance literally means you're heading one way and repenting is doing a U-turn and walking the other way. And this is a great picture of repentance. See, for Levi, he's been travelling in a particular direction. He, didn't, he, didn't, uh, was, he wasn't forced. Nobody's forced to be a tax collector. He chose that's his path in life. I want to be a tax collector. And becoming a tax collector, it means saying no to God. Because I can't go to the temple for worship. I can't go to the synagogue. I can't mix with God's people. I'm shutting myself off from what God wants in my life. I'm going to do my own thing. So why would you choose to become a tax collector? Well, it's good for money. It also makes you lots of good contacts in high places in the, Rome, in the Roman world. So I'm going to do things my way. So he's travelling life as a tax collector. He gets confronted by Jesus and whatever was in that conversation has made him stop. He gets up. He lets go of what he was chasing, the money, the career path. He lets it go and leaves it behind and does a U-turn, starts following Jesus, starts walking in his ways. It's a very literal example of what repentance is when we're travelling in one direction, we've got to stop and let it go and turn and follow Jesus his way. He's, and Levi has done that. But then we see a third thing that Jesus does that is so unexpected. He not only talks to a tax collector, calls a tax collector, but he hangs out at their house for a meal and not just one tax collector, there are many tax collectors because Levi throws this big banquet at his own house and a large crowd of tax collectors, I just love the detail that Luke throws in here, it's not a few, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Like this is a shock. 
Again, a teacher would never uh, put himself in that situation. A rabbi would never eat, never go into the house of a tax collector or sinner. Son of God, it's unconceivable that God would mix with that sort of people. But yet for Levi, this is significant. It's not just having a meal for Levi. This is Levi having Jesus in his house with all his friends, with Jesus as the guest of honour. It's like that, that Jesus recognises me. I'm a somebody to Jesus. Jesus is interested in me. Jesus accepts me that I'm a somebody in the eyes of God. Just like the celebrities giving us the phone call, going, they know me, they know I exist. Levi's going, Jesus does that for me, that I'm a somebody. For Levi, this is fantastic. It's fantastic. It affirms his, his repentance, his change of life, that God actually cares about him. But for everybody else seeing this, this is not the spiritual leader they're expecting. So we see there a group called the Pharisees are having a whinge. Now we'll learn more about the Pharisees as this series go on, but to stereotype them, they're the religious people. They're the good religious people in that um, they have very high standards about living for God. Now they, uh, they're not at the party, even though you sort of read it and it all f- flows into each other, but Levi would probably not know too many Pharisees to even invite, let alone uh, the Pharisees actually accepting the invitation to come. That would never happen. So probably talking outside, not to Jesus, but to his disciples, his followers. (coughs) And they're asking him, why does Jesus go in and eat with sinners? Like, do you realise how wrong this is? But what they're really saying is if you're claiming to be the Son of God, even if you're claiming to be a, a teacher or a rabbi, you're a fake. You're not the real deal. You're not from God. God would never do that. And when we think about it, you've actually got to sort of sympathize with their argument because these guys, the Pharisees, are the good religious guys of the day. They do go to the temple every week to worship. They go to the synagogue and teach and learn. They, they hang out with each other. They're the select. They're the ones that take the law seriously, the obedience seriously. When we see so many bad stories about the Pharisees in the Bible, we just sort of think they're the bad guys. Well, in fact, if you were to buy a house in a street and it was full of Pharisees, that would be a good street to buy into. You know, their lawn's going to be mowed, their car's going to be washed, their don- donkeys are fed. Like the, the Pharisees are good law-keeping guys. If you were to look for employment, if your boss was a Pharisee, you knew he's going to be a good boss because he obeys the law, he does everything right, he's not going to let you down. The Pharisees do things right. And from their perspective, they're God's tribe, they're God's people. So if God was to come into this world, who's God going to come for? Who's God going to hang out with? It's his tribe. It's his people. God would be hanging out with the religious good guys because that, they're gods. They're God's tribe. But yet this upsets everything. Upsets everything. See, the problem here for Jesus is he doesn't match their expectations. He doesn't fit with their picture of God. This dinner party is kind of a crossroads. It's either these people are going, there you go, Jesus, you don't do what God would do, so therefore you're not God. Or, actually, have we got God wrong? Have we misunderstood God all this time, that God would do that? 
But Jesus would uh, demonstrate that. The religious people have got to think this through. And this is where Jesus comes along and says, let me explain the situation. <coughs> Jesus joins the conversation and he answers them and he calls himself or refers to himself as a doctor. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, I know for me, if I don't go to the doctor, I kind of pat myself on the back, going, I'm doing a good job looking after myself. I don't need sick people, you know, they need to go and see a doctor. And this is what the religious people were doing. They were working so hard to look like they've got the goods, they've got it together. I'm doing a good job spiritually. I'm doing everything that pleases God. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't need any help from anybody else. And they did look impressive. They don't need a doctor because they're righteous. They don't need to repent. They've got nothing to repent of. They don't need to be humble and swallow their pride and change direction. Because they're self-righteous, even arrogant in the way they've got it together so much. If you saw one of these people on the outside, you go, man, you're a model believer. You've got it together. And they knew it. Well, they at least thought it. But then Jesus comes along and says, you know what? I can't help you. If it's all about you, if it's all about how impressive you are on the outside, on the inside, you're living a world of denial. Because I know we all need help. We all need the doctor to make us right, to bring us healing. So Jesus is the doctor to bring healing. And Levi and the sinners, they know it. They know it. See, they know their stories are littered with a mess of sin and rebellion and bad choices against God. And the thing with Levi, the tax collector, his sin is very public. Everybody knows it. That's why they call him the sinner. Because everybody can see his sin, where the Pharisees are just extra good at hiding it. And maybe we're a bit like that as well. But Jesus comes into Levi's world and says, well, I've come to bring you healing. I've come to make things right. And Levi knew it. The day he left his tax booth was a choice he made to repent, to turn around, to leave his old life behind and to follow Jesus. Jesus was the only thing, the only person that was going to bring him true healing. Levi couldn't do it. The religious people had pushed him away. Jesus was the only people, person who was going to bring him healing. And that day changed everything for Levi see we know in this story there's this guy called Levi the tax collector but as the story goes on Levi becomes a disciple of Jesus one of Jesus 12 disciples his name gets changed to Matthew and if you know the gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John uh, Matthew this guy Levi writes his testimony about Jesus he becomes a significant figure explaining who Jesus is to the rest of the world and it's, I think the rest of the disciples know what's going on because often when Matthew is pointed out in the other Gospels, it's not just like, well, there's John and there's Mark. Oh, there's Matthew, the tax collector. He's labelled it everywhere because they just reminding him, mate, look where you've come from. Look at the healing that's happened in your life. You've gone from living your own way, chasing your own things, and now you're a disciple of Jesus. How awesome was that? And it all started at the tax booth. See, when you're looking at yourself, 
what do you see inside? Yeah, oh, actually, the way we describe the Pharisees can be a lot like the way li- we live our lives. That we put up this shield that everything's okay, we've got it together, that we're perfect. I don't need to repent. I'm not a sinner. I'm not like those people. I don't need Jesus. I'm doing okay. God should be pleased. I'm on his side. Do we have that sort of attitude? I was reminded of this uh, over the summer watching the cricket and there was the pink test, the test match in Sydney where they uh, raise funds and raise awareness for women, women's breast cancer. Actually, it's breast cancer for men and women. But they had a little story about that where to make uh, the, the women who are going through a terrible treatment of um, the radiation and the drugs uh, where they're losing their hair and they just feel awful going through that cancer treatment, that they do things uh, to just to lift their spirits a little bit. And one of the things they were doing is they would treat them to a night out. So they would do them up in makeup. If they'd lost their hair, they'd give them a nice wig and let them choose what wig they want just to make them, uh, you know, the hair that they always dreamed of, I guess. Uh, and they'd, they'd give them an implant just to, to make them feel complete again if they've had their breast removed and things like that. To make them have a fun night out just to get back to their old self and when you see pictures of those nights you go wow that person's got it together they're actually on the home straight they're cured they got their life back together they look normal not only normal they look happy but not one of those women would think that they're cured not one of those women would say the cancer is gone they know that the next week they've got to go back in for more treatment more pain more suffering because it's not on the outside they need healing it's on the inside they need healing some massive healing's got to happen for that cancer to to be stopped or they're going to die that's the reality for them now i think we live that sort of life spiritually but sometimes we, we put on the makeup, the hair, and the, we get our act together. We look really good. We look slick and sharp and go, this is me. I've got it all together. I'm impressive to God. I'm all good. I don't need help from anybody. I definitely don't need help from Jesus. I don't need help from any of you guys because I'm the model Christian. But we don't realize we haven't addressed the real problem that's on the inside, that cancer of sin that needs healing, and we can't deal with that. We actually need the doctor. We need Jesus to bring us true healing. The Pharisees can't see it. The Levites, they see it. See, when you look at yourself, can you see a bit of Levi in you, recognizing that, you know what? I am a sinner. I have been chasing other things doing other things, living out another life. I might be better at hiding it than other people. My sins might not be public, but I know deep down that's where I'm at. And, but are we humble enough to recognise it and own it like Levi? Are we humble enough to repent, to let go of our choices the way we wanted to go, to let it go, to turn around and start following Jesus, to start following his ways, find true healing and true life see what this story affirms which is another big unexpected surprise is jesus doesn't reject people like that he doesn't excommunicate them you're not allowed in church anymore you're not allowed to mix with with righteous people no no jesus says actually i want to come to your house i want to come to your heart 
I want to do healing in your life. That's what Jesus does. That's the exciting thing about this this story. God's love for you is greater than any sin that you've ever done. His mercy and grace overshadows anything that you've done to tarnish your life. But we need to own it. We need to let it go and start following him, trusting him for healing. When Jesus says, follow me, are we going to follow him? And as we as a church, it's very easy for a church to go, look how impressive we are. We've got everything together. Look at our people, our families, our marriages. Look how good things are here. You need to be a part of us, that we've got it all together as perfect. But in fact, we're falling into the trap of the arrogance of the Pharisees, that we don't actually need Jesus. But we need to be real as a church, to see that this is a safe place to drop our guards, to confess our sin, to encourage each other, to build each other up in our walk with Jesus. We need to be a church that's not proud and arrogant, saying, look at us, look at us. But we need to be genuine and real. Go and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He can bring you healing, true healing. See, we'd love to see more Levi's come in the door. For every Levi that comes in and says, I need to turn my life around. I need to find true life and the healing of Jesus. We'd rejoice in just one. But we're as a church here at Southside are praying that God would use us to reach 1%, which is a 1,000 people, a 1,000 Levi's to come in here. Not people that have got their life all together, but people are looking for healing through Jesus. And Jesus promises that he will do that and delivers. I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray for each of us individually that we can look into our own hearts. Would Jesus come and have dinner in my life? Would Jesus come into my heart? Or are we going to push him away? Are we going to be a church that invites others to him? Are we going to be a church that pushes them away? Please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you for your great love displayed through Jesus' actions. Certainly unexpected actions. We look to Jesus and religious people to be perfect and uh, in ways that just such high standards that, that don't even deal with sinners or don't even associate with sinners, but, but for good people. But yet through Jesus' actions here, showing his love for us, his love for sinners is so great. He is willing to come into this world. He is willing to mix with sinners like us. He is even willing to reach into our hearts and lives to bring us healing. Lord, help us to look at ourselves, to realise how we're playing the game, the religious game. Help us to realise how actually on the inside I am pursuing things that God doesn't want for my life and I need to own that. I need to let it go and walk away from the sin and start following Jesus. Lord, help us to make that decision. Help us to put that into real action like Levi. And help us to be those people steering others to Jesus, like Levi. But also, Lord, help us to be a church that has love and compassion for the lost, for sinners. Lord, help us not to be arrogant, thinking how good we are, that just shuts you out. But let us live out the gospel, the gospel of love, grace and mercy, that we might reach others for the sake of Jesus. We pray this for your glory. Amen.
how good would it be to sing a song right now to celebrate the act of what Jesus has done in our lives? Maybe next week we'll get there. But I hope that you can spend the rest of the morning just reflecting on those things, whether it's reading a bit more of Luke, whether it's hanging out with other believers. We've got an opportunity to do that now over morning tea. Have a coffee with those around us, just to check in. How are you going? How did you get through Christmas? How are you going with your walk with Jesus this year? What, what are your goals? What are you working towards? What changes are you going to make? But also, uh, if you're new or visiting, remember we've got Newcomers Morning Tea at 10. So there's enough time to grab a coffee or we'll get them delivered upstairs um, where we'll have the Newcomers Morning Tea. Uh, but I hope you have a blessed morning um, where you can encourage other people. And, and yeah, I'm going to wrap up now in th with those words. So have a great day and God bless you all. Thanks. <laughs>